The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here as always with Mike. And today we're going to try something a little bit different. So uh, this may be our new format moving forward, but we want to get right into the action and talk about what happened on this week's episode of All Elite Wrestling Dynamite. So uh, Mike, uh, hit the the drop. We're going to go right into Stock Up, Stock Down. Stock Up, Stock Down. And we begin Joel, this week by oh. <laughs> <laughs> new format sucks. I hate it. <laughs> the format Whose must die. Idea was this? <laughs> no, um, Joel. There was one pretty big story coming out of AEW Revolution, and that was the dud of an explosion. Uh, I feel like this is a good place to start to see how AEW kind of handled that. So, Joel, what were your thoughts on the Moxley? Uh, Kingston promo and then the in-ring segment with Kenny Omega and the boys. So if you listen to our reaction pod, you know, I don't care about the explosion or lack thereof from the pay-per-view. Doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is the story that they told, which was Eddie Kingston coming to sacrifice himself to save Moxley. That being said, I think that this was a really good way to position both Moxley and Omega with Moxley kind of shrugging it off and making fun of Omega and Omega being like, Hey, this was the plan. We just wanted to make you two look like idiots. So um, it worked for me. I absolutely loved the Moxley and Kingston segment right off the top of the show after the first match. I just, those two on the mic together had such great chemistry and the writing or improving or however you want to look at it bullet points for that segment gave them exactly what they needed to be entertaining and to uh, really sell that they're back together as a duo and they're friends again no longer bitter rivals so it, it really worked for me Yeah, I don't know if you saw what Mick Foley tweeted the other day, but he was asked on how he would handle, how he would respond to the the explosion flop. And I agreed with him for the most part until I saw the show, but his stance was just admit there was a mistake. Hey, it happens sometimes. Whoops. Sorry. And then move on. Um, And I I, kind of had that mindset until I saw the show. And I, I, I thought it was a very good response from Kingston and, and Mox to basically say, what the hell was that? I, I, I like that, you know, the match was rough. It was a dangerous match, but they didn't oversell it. Cause I think that would have added to the kind of ridiculousness of the explosion not happening. Um, I, I like that all of, you know, both Kenny and Omega were looking pretty healthy tonight. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think the heel work in the ring from Kenny Don and, and the good brothers was, uh, pretty good especially when they were trying to goad eddie into into slugging him and uh i was i was freaking happy when when uh kingston took that shot at him so i mean you're, you're making fun of someone for his his ptsd like screw you man so i i thought it was very effective i think it got the heat back on kenny for being this this awful awful heel and i liked that kingston came out alone to confront kenny at first kind of put the focus that this is 
Kingston is squarely a part of this feud now, and it has a potential to be a feud that doesn't necessarily need Moxley involved at every step of the way. So one yeah. thing I would have liked to see is Moxley and Kenny both selling the match a little bit more and the injuries that they sustained prior to the dud, uh, because that was still a brutal match that saw both of them thrown into the explosives multiple times, bloodied and, you know, put through hell. So I thought Mox did a decent job of kind of wincing when he would move around on the couch in the promo segment. Uh, but Kenny seemed like 100% fine. And like, that doesn't do much to me to sell that this is a brutal match that, you know, has lasting consequences, which is what we were sold going into it. Like this is a match that changes careers, right? So I don't, I don't know if they want, I don't know if they want fans thinking all of, like thinking about that match a lot right now. Um, that's fair, but I, I, think I still think the, I think the mindset little... was address it and move on. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I I still think that everything that happened up until that moment needed to be respected and just moving a little gingerly or, you know, having an arm wrapped or, you know, just looking like you were went through a hardcore match, even if the, the post match didn't live up to expectations. I don't know that that's just, maybe that's just for me. But it looks like we have two clear directions with these, these groups right now. And, Next week on apparently what is a special St. Patrick's Day episode. Um, cool. Uh, we are getting the Good Brothers versus Moxley and Kingston, which I think is going to be super fun. Um, and then my boy Christian Joel came out and confronted the champ. Yes. <laughs> give me, yeah, give me, was... give me, give me, give me, give me, give <laughs> me. That was a cool moment. And uh, Christian looked appropriate out there i think um mm -hmm. him kind of just ignoring kenny's offer of a handshake not going for it was good he seemed a little bit aloof uh, which was also good i think him being like look i'm a legend i'm kind of bigger than this moment this title feud that's happening i think is a good look for him uh i think ultimately you know he's gonna be a, have to be a face for a while just because the fans are are gonna cheer him because he's Christian Cage, but we need to maneuver around to a place where he can work heel because I think that's Christian at his best. And it also being a heel positions you to put other talent over and mm -hmm. give them the rub. And I think that's uh, one of the things that he and the other legends in the company, like Chris Jericho and Matt Hardy. Uh, can be very effective in doing. So I want to see some heel Christian. And I like that he's not like straight up white meat baby face in this presentation mm -hmm. that he seems to have an arrogance or a cockiness to him, or even just an indifference. Like, I don't really care about you. I only care about the title. And I think we can both agree that when Kenny does eat the kill switch or the unprettier, it is going to be the best looking Christian kill switch ever. Just period. Yeah, we saw someone <laughs> not that long ago take it and look Jumped really the air. good. Um, I want to say it was Sammy Guevara. Uh, oh, yeah. was Oh, was that against Jungle Boy? Possibly. Um, I'm trying to remember if it happened in AEW or if it was something that we saw live. 
Yeah, uh, I know what you're. I know what you're talking about though. Where like both of the wrestlers like jumped in the air, left their feet. Yeah, I mean it looked great. Yeah. And as you know, that's not a move that I particularly care for. Um, I think it's a a little bit of a convoluted finisher. And uh, it, maybe it's just that Vince didn't like Christian, but I feel like I've seen it escaped from a thousand times as many times mm-hmm. as I've seen it be hit. <laughs> so. You know, it's, it's all going to be worth it, man. It's all going to be worth it when Christian nails it on on the champ. Just you wait. Just you but wait. Yeah, but yeah, I, I thought that was a, a good way to kind of end the segment, bring things back around and, and move us in a, in a forward direction. Um, what's unclear is whether Mox is actually going to be missing any time. So, uh, I mean, I guess there's more opportunities for him to, you know, get hit by a truck or something. Um but it seems yeah. like the, the big moment that was supposed to put him out of action for a while didn't go over very well. And so they're going to have to try again. Yeah, I still think we're going to get something. But also, Renee, I think, is what, seven months pregnant? So there's still a little bit more time to write him off TV for however long they need. So if his his number one priority now is helping make Kingston look like a, you know, even more legit contender, then that's probably the the best thing they can do right now. Um, but yeah, I guess the family's dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that since, clearly seems since, to be the case. And, and <laughs> since just uh, the Wizard and the Blade are now being <laughs> retained by uh, Matt Hardy, big money, Matt. So, um, and speaking of factions, we saw a new faction yes, form in the main event, the Inner Circle War Council, which didn't go exactly how I was expecting. This was Not a, at a all. Bit of a swerve to me. And uh, we saw Sammy Guevara return to the Inner Circle and MJF about to be kicked out and, and beaten down when the lights went out and we were surprised by... The appearance of Wardlow, FTR, Sean Spears, and Tully Blanchard, who uh, came to the aid of MJF and are a part of a new group that MJF claimed he was forming the whole time. Wardlow put Chris Jericho through a couple of tables off the stage and uh, cut to black. That was the end of the episode. I I I think I mentioned on the show uh, a recap show on Sunday that up oh, yep. MJF is going to call for a change in leadership and that's going to be the end of it. And I was really surprised by what they did here. We, we thought that the faction that Tully was putting together was going to be Sean Spears and FTR. So to add a guy like MJF into it as the figurehead is there's limitless potential. I think with that group right now, Um, yeah, it's not the four horsemen five horsemen i don't like there were only four I mean, so I think but it's, i i think this is a was a, a nice change of pace yeah agreed and i think you can still call it a, a kind of four horsemen adjacent because you know wardlow is still there as mjf's bodyguard right despite the way that he factored into that finish and tully is not going to be wrestling often so you have your core group of guys Why and not? then you have your kind of manager slash bodyguard figures and the main people who are going to be involved in matches uh, in the ring are FTR, Sean Spears and MJF. And 
I think it was on the the pod previously a long time ago that we talked about, it might've been back when FTR came to the company that we talked about the potential for Sean Spears, FTR and MJF to form up as a group. Uh, but that was a long time ago. And uh, I had kind of forgotten about that possibility. So this was exciting and different. And uh, the weird thing is, it, it looked like Wardlow was the leader of the group. The way that yeah. segment went down, <laughs> the way he was standing tall after chucking Jericho off the stage. Like, you kind of had MJF sitting back like the puppet master, which is great. I mean, that's a great role for him. But, I mean, Wardlow is the person that I want to see in matches. Wardlow is the person I want to see involved in angles. And I know that, like, I bought Wardlow stock early and I've just been waiting for that payoff, but uh, I- I'm looking forward to him having a bigger role. There were too many people in the inner circle, and Wardlow often felt extraneous, uh, which you know is a crime in my opinion. I think he's really good, so I hope he gets to factor in in a bigger way here. So MJF joining the inner circle, we were both kind of ah, okay. We'll we'll see where it goes. What? what purpose did it serve? Was it really like, are we looking at it as, Oh yeah, he, he was planning it the whole time. We're like, is that going to be the big reveal to take down the inner circle? Was Jericho who he thought was like his biggest threat in the company? Cause if not, like it just seems like kind of a waste to me. Well, like I was- can't think of a moment of the MJF inner circle era that truly stands out other than the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there was good stuff throughout. So if the purpose was just to entertain us, then that's fine. Um, But I agree. I think we end up largely where we began. You know, the inner circle is not fractured. Sammy Guevara came back to the group. Santana and Ortiz didn't leave. Jake Hager is still there. Uh, This is the same group of five wrestlers that there were before MJF and Wardlow joined. So mm-hmm. it, it does kind of feel like whatever his mission was, he failed. So, you know, that's a little bit disappointing, but I, I, I just, I think the, the more disappointing thing to me is that Sammy Guevara went back to the inner circle. Like mm-hmm. I was really hoping that this was going to be his moment to step out as a singles competitor outside of a faction and, you know, get involved in some storylines that weren't inner circle centric. And it feels pretty clear that that is not what's going to happen moving forward. We're going to see this new four horsemen faction clashing with the inner circle, probably at least until double or nothing, if not for the entire summer stadium stampede too. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past him. Or blood and guts if they can ever get into an arena that can have the two cages. Yeah, I also wouldn't mind seeing another stadium stampede. That match was so much fun. And I think, uh, you know, running it back with a a slightly different cast of characters could be a great way to go. Yeah, so we're gonna. I I liked the the reveal of the new faction. You know, we'll see where they take it next week. But yeah, I'm on the opinion, like, this whole MJF inner circle thing was kind of a waste. And I was seeing stuff on Twitter saying, Oh, look, the inner circles face. Does that automatically make them faces? Can't they just be two shit heel groups feuding? Like, cause I don't necessarily really want to cheer for, you know, Chris Jericho or 
you know, Hager. <laughs> yeah, getting chucked off a stage through tables doesn't make you a face. It just means that you got your butt kicked. Yeah. So I, I don't think I'm going to be cheering for the inner circle. I'll cheer for the individual members of the inner circle that I've yeah. been cheering for. I love Santana and Ortiz. I like Sandy Guevara. Um, <laughs> actually, I've even really enjoyed what Jake Hager has done in recent spots. So really, Chris Jericho is the one I, I will continue to not cheer for. Um, <laughs> also, it seems like a good chance, like if they wanted to write Jericho off TV for a little bit, they could that that angle seemed like a perfect way to do it. I think I think we're really in the minority on this. I think other people are still really into Jericho and what he's doing. Yes, man. Um, But I I don't know. I just I I think this is going to get stale. Uh, Yeah, but I'm I'm very much in a wait and see mode. This I could totally be brought around on it. I think Sean Spears being with MJF is a very natural um, alignment. And then having FTR, of course, makes perfect sense. So, uh, can I, can I run by you the fantasy booking? I, one of my buddies pitched to me last night. Sure. I think would. Okay. So, uh, inner circle just gets their butt kicked by this new faction over the next few months to the point where say they take Hager out of action, you know, they hurt his knee or something. He's gone. Uh, one of the members of Santana Ortiz gets hurt. They're gone. So leading up to Stadium Stampede at Double or Nothing, Jericho needs allies. And he approaches the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes, and says, I will drop the stipulation that you cannot challenge for the AW World Championship again if you help me. And oh. that's how we get Cody back into the main event picture. And then it can lead to Arn Anderson turning on Cody and joining this new horseman group. That's interesting. That's a neat little bow to tie on things. Um, I would since hate that. Yeah, Jer- uh, Cody has unfinished business with MJF with Sean Spears. Like, you know, like they never went back to that MJF feud. And remember when Cody was doing that promo that Jade Cargill interrupted, he was talking about how he still had unfinished business left with some people mentioned MJF by name. It's true. So we'll see if, if that happens, you know, Two bit whack job on Twitter. Uh, I will buy you a beer when I'm allowed to travel to DFW. So, all right, Joel. Anything else about this segment or these these cast of characters? No, no. I think we can move on. And uh, something that we got to talk about. Though, there was some weirdness on Dynamite, so we got to got to throw a stock down stock to down. the TNT Network for fucking up the audio during the Ethan Page <laughs> and Lee Johnson match. Uh, Ethan Page, Lee Johnson, two talents I'm very invested in. This was the match I was most looking forward to on this card because it was our opportunity to see Ethan Page in a singles match for the first time. Uh, And I ended up totally distracted by the sounds and music from an NBA broadcast, which was like somehow on AEW. And it came out, although it was pretty clear, that this was not an AEW issue, that this was a TNT issue, uh, which makes sense because why would AEW have the sounds of the NBA in their broadcast material? So uh, this was just bizarre. And the, the and what it, I watched from the weird. match was good, but I spent a lot of it like trying to figure out what the hell was going on and being totally distracted by uh, not being able to hear commentary. It was really loud too. 
So Mm -hmm. like this was the first time we were going to get to hear a long stretch of Ethan Page's music because previously we had only heard it, you know, in the brief introduction in the ladder match. So, you know, like all of this like debut on Dynamite stuff that's exciting for all of these talents and for us as fans was kind of ruined by this sound botch. Yeah, it's weird, too, because there were only two NBA games on last night. And I don't think any of them were on TNT, like a TNT broadcast before or after the game. Yeah, like, TNT doesn't do Wednesdays. Yeah, like there's I don't Except know where that audio was coming from, because like the Mavericks were on NBA TV and that was like the national game of the night. So I don't know what the fuck was going on. It was yeah, it was awful. It, it reminded me of the first couple weeks of Dynamite. Remember when they had just some some issues just getting the sound to be right. Like I had some flashbacks to the early days and yeah, props to Tony Khan. They posted up the, uh, the full match on YouTube. So if you want to go back yeah, I need and yeah, we'll give it a shot. Cause it's a damn shame because from what I could tell, you know, Ethan page and, uh, Lee Johnson put on a, put on a good show, but it's just, I, I could not focus on it. I could not focus on it. And it's funny, I watched it today and I, I had to go on Twitter to try and see what was happening. And sure enough, audio issues, dynamite were still like active discussions. So yeah, stock, yep. stock down. I don't think there's really anything else to say other than that. But um, yeah, Joel, why don't we move on to our last item of stock up, stock down. We had a six women tag match tonight, but... I was really intrigued because we are getting the first ever women's AEW Dynamite main event. And this, this match feels like it deserves a main event spot. I, I don't feel like it's just putting it there for the sake of saying we have the first women's main event in Dynamite history. These, this is one of the hottest stories in the company right now. It's been going on for a long time and they're giving them a light outs lights out match on Dynamite. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, so excited you didn't mention that it's a match between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. Oh, yeah, Rosa. Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's just okay. how excited we are. Uh, if you're listening yeah, this, to the show, you know. <laughs> this is uh, this is exciting, and it's, um, it's also a, a rare stipulation match in the women's division. Most of the women's matches mm-hmm. are just straight-up matches, so uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they put together uh, this lights out match. How violent is it going to be? Uh, who all is going to get involved? I imagine there's going to be interference uh, from Britt Baker's kind of stable that she's putting together and uh, possibly some, you know, babyface interference on the other side. Although Thunder Rosa is not really a a character who seems to have a lot of support from the locker room. You know, she's an outsider. She's not, you know, considered to be, you know, AEW talent. She's still kind of under that NWA banner within AEW. So uh, I'm interested to see how this goes down and who all gets involved and who they get involved in favor of. So uh, obviously it's going to be a great match. And we got a, a really good tag team match on Dynamite that featured, uh, you know, Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, Maki Ito, uh, Shida, Rio, and um, and Thunder Rosa. So really, really good stuff. And I'm just sad that 
you know, these Joshi wrestlers are not going to be around all the time. So um, I know Maki Ito is headed back to Japan. So that's kind of a bummer. But uh, I'm excited that we're going to be getting this match. Yeah, it seems like a a good conclusion for probably one of the better non-title feuds they've had in the women's division. Um, And it seems like either, you know, whoever wins should probably be in line for a title shot against Cheetah. I think they're both ranked in the top three or four in the women's division. So it just, just makes sense. But um, Joel, any, anything else you want to talk about before we move on to lightning rounds? I know I said that was our last topic, but I want to make sure. Now let's, let's, uh, let's hit on some, some other things that happened on the show. Lightning round. Did that Lance Archer sting thing confuse you? That confused me. Isn't Archer supposed to be like this new baby face that we've seen for the last two or three months? Um, I don't I didn't understand really Lance know. Archer in general. Yeah, it, it seemed like a weird flex for them to come out during Sting's moment. Um, you know, we'll we'll give it give it some time to see what they do there. I honestly don't see how Lance Archer and Sting put on a match because um, I think Lance Archer would kill him. Um, but yeah, if the, if this was a stock up, stock down, I, I would give that a thumbs down. Cause I just don't really like, it seems like time for like sting to just go away for a few weeks. Like I know he's, they touted him as a full-time talent where they just had the blow off to his first major feud. I feel like it'd be a good thing. Okay. We can, we can get him off TV for a little bit, come up with a new story and then bring it back fresh leading up to double or nothing. Well, and you know, about four or five weeks ago, we were talking about how these sting appearances were having diminishing returns, like having sting come out and cut a promo ceases to be that interesting when you're seeing it every week. And, you know, we have a pretty good idea that we're not going to see sting in matches except at pay-per-views. So like as full time as they want to call him, like, it's not the same as seeing John Moxley come out and cut a promo and knowing that you might see John Moxley in a match next week. So I don't know. This was just weird. And I didn't know if, if Lance Archer was coming out going after sting kind of like as a proxy for Darby Allen. And, you know, because Darby had a match that he didn't want to, you know, be a part of that, but that he wanted to kind of stake his claim that, hey, I may not have won, but I'm still the face of the revolution. And so I'm going to be taking that belt off of whoever wins tonight. So that's the only thing that makes sense to me. But I feel like Lance Archer has more than any other big name debut had just the start, stop, start, stop gridlock and can't seem to really get any kind of forward momentum with any iteration of his character. Uh, And frankly, I think he would benefit from being off TV for a while and then coming back and doing something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this we'll see. We thought we were, he was going to be the uh, Kenny Omega opponent at revolution before they rolled it back to uh, Moxley. So yeah, just a weird stretch. Joel, you got something for me. It seemed like he was being built up. So, you know, that was, it was a little bit strange to me that, um, that they kind of abandoned that and and went to Moxley. So, Joel, you got another lightning round item for us? Yeah, we got a really good match between um, 
Scorpio Sky and Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. And I was a little bit taken aback by the fact that Scorpio Sky didn't go over here, uh, given what we saw Darby Allen go through on the pay-per-view. And I guess, you know, this is kind of a continuation of my thought from earlier with Moxley and Omega, but I kind of wanted to see more signs of damage on Darby Allen. And I know that we kind of accepted that he got dragged behind a car with no consequences. <laughs> so, you know, he's kind of indestructible, but you know, what we saw him go through in that street fight should have softened him up for Scorpio sky, who just, obviously went through a brutal ladder match himself, but I don't think it really compares to, you know, Darby being thrown through glass and, you know, doing a, a coffin drop through, uh, you know, board that was set up over a, you know, two story drop or whatever. So I, I guess I thought this was an opportunity to take the belt off of Darby without compromising his record in a way. Um, because you've got the built-in excuse and it seemed like an opportunity to elevate Scorpio Sky, someone who has, you know, done so much and had such a great run without really getting a title. So um, getting a little bit rambly here, but what what did you think about this match? Yeah, I don't know. It, it felt like the whole purpose of this was to give Scorpio Sky the moment to truly become a heel, which we kind of figured he was with his commentary work on dynamite. Was that last week or two weeks ago? Like I didn't need confirmation that Scorpio sky is now a heel and with him losing, I could have, I think I would have been okay with that. Like I like both guys. It's fine. But then to have like the post match locking in the submission, breaking, trying to break the ankle of Darby, like was this whole point like of this big ladder match, to just show that Scorpio Sky's heel, I, I just feel like it's kind of a waste because we both kind of agreed it was a good time to move the title off of Darby, um, especially if you're going to elevate a guy we both love, like Scorpio Sky in that role, who can work like no one else, like very few people in the company can. So, yeah, I it was a really good match. I really enjoyed the match, but I uh, the outcome left me a little disappointed, and it, it seems like for... Scorpio's got to go through what he did to win the ladder match that anything less of a title change would be weird. Yeah. I guess it kind of goes back to what we talked about on our preview show for revolution, which is that title holders don't lose very often in AEW. So um, there haven't been a whole lot of title changes in general. So I guess that we should have expected this, but uh, what else have you got for lightning round? Uh, I want to go to the um, Cody squash, but then the interesting exchange with Pentagon. And we are getting Cody versus Penta next week on this stacked St. Patrick's Day show. And I, I liked Penta using the translator for some of it, but then also being like, nah, I can talk. I'm going to talk shit to you. And then going back to the translator to drop the the line that started the brawl. I'm going to hurt you so bad you can't pick up your daughter. Um, but also I'm a little confused because the other two members of death triangle, we kind of look at as faces like with how they, they did the whole little feud with Eddie. And I still look at pack and Phoenix as kind of a baby face tag team right now. So I'm just kind of confused of the stance here from Pentagon to be all up in Cody's business. 
what what do you think about this? I think we need to change the way that we think about uh, babyface and heel in AEW. I think we need to move to a more like protagonist antagonist sort of paradigm because it's clear that there's more fluidity in how AEW books their talent than other wrestling companies that we've watched before. Because you can have Pac and Phoenix who are ostensibly a part of a group with Penta and you can have them off doing kind of babyface-ish things. Although the squash match that they had prior to Revolution was uh, very much in the, the heel paradigm. Um, and then you can have Penta who's with them doing his own thing that is very heelish and going after the face of the company and definitely in in a more antagonistic role. So I think that's a a kind of different way of thinking about it that maybe makes it easier to process the feuds that are built and less about like, this person's a good guy, this person's a bad guy. And thinking about within this specific feud, who's the antagonist and who's the protagonist. Yeah, I guess so. I I just... I find it hard when members of the same group are are doing different things. So, I mean, it's probably just a one-off, you know, they, they were in that ladder match over on Sunday. So probably some still bad blood just from that. So I'm not complaining that we're getting Cody versus Penta because that should be a awesome match on what is a, shipping up to be a pay-per-view quality card for some reason on a, random Wednesday March. So I, I, I'm pretty excited for that. But yeah, I thought the segment was a little weird and out of place, but you got something hit for me in lightning round, Joel? Yeah, last Another thing I wanted to talk about, I, I got to talk about my dude, Adam Page. Uh, he had one of my favorite segments in a while where he was showing off his brand new lawnmower and <laughs> invited members of the Dark Order to jump on for a ride. Everybody except Alan Angels. Because the thing has a weight limit and uh, he couldn't get on, despite the fact that, you know, that was already loaded down with, you know, all these different people. And then I loved Colt Cabana falling off as soon as Adam Page started throttling forward. (laughs) So um, I love this segment. I think it's hilarious that, uh, you know, he bought whiskey and a lawnmower and i forget what the other things were that he mentioned um that he bought with his uh money that he took off of matt hardy but love this segment i enjoyed that we got some follow-up that showed the stakes being paid off you know it it's one thing to have a stipulation that's like hey i get this money from you um but then if we never see him do anything with that money then it's kind of like nothing happened at all so this was a good way to kind of tie a bow on this feud and uh, move forward past the big money match. Yeah. And we kind of saw on the flip side, Matt Hardy having to bring in new clientele because of his money crunch. So we saw consequences on both sides here. Um, So yeah, I thought it was funny. Uh, They had a bit on the um, (laughs) uh, being the elite this week where all the members of (laughs) dark order, pass around uh, uh, Adam Page's credit card and I'll buy random shit, which was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, it, like, and it, it really did seem like it was improv because some of this stuff was ridiculous. So you should go go check that, check that out because I, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was good. And Adam Page is, I like him with the Dark Order, even if he's not an official member, maybe a loose affiliation 
can be something they do going forward. But um, yeah, my my real last thing was I think we should give props to um, Phoenix and Matt Jackson working one hell of a match to start the show. Yeah, it's absolutely. Really good stuff from these guys. I hope we get Pack versus Nick Jackson soon. Like, let's run both sides of this equation and then we get the tag team title match. Um, just really good stuff. And, you know, uh, Phoenix got the win, right? Yeah. Uh, um, so big, big win for, for Phoenix. Uh, we both stand him so, so, so much. So yeah, that term a lot to... lately. I know. Sorry. Should I mark out where, where marks for <laughs> Phoenix or where, where, we're groupies of Phoenix. I mean, so Stan is just, it's, it's a fun term, right? Cause it, it kind of indicates that, uh, I mean, the reference of course, to the Eminem song and, and that it's a commentary on insane fan culture and how obsessed people get psychopathic. So that's fun. You know me, Mr. Psychopath. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, I know you've got Phoenix in your trunk right now, but, um, yeah. Dare me to drive. All right. Let's <laughs> Let's get out of here. I don't got anything else unless you do. <laughs> Join the dark order, people. Join the dark order. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Remember, everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling. Bye.